to positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. guys notice that it's fucking orange outside oh what i've seen this have you seen this you heard about this i've lived in it i've breathed it i've smelled it i tried to bike through it a couple of times and i got a rash that's really bad for you (laughs) (laughs) well i was like okay what's worse walking 20 minutes or biking 10 minutes it's less time therefore less exposure but you exert yourself a little more so i felt I felt like I had like biked over three bridges after like a you know very quick ten minute thing, and yeah, I got itchy. That's like smoking while running. You understand? I had a mask on. That's like did smoking you, through a mask while running. Did you get a little high? Like if you if you you know how if you like smoke cigarettes too fast, you're like oh, and your head gets all like uh, uh, mm-hmm. cloudy, and you need to sit down. Was it like that? Kind of, yeah. Wouldn't recommend it, but I'll probably go do it again. Did you get a buzz? I was working uh, at the bar the first day it happened, which, by the way, this was not like there's no warning for this. It just happened. It was the most confusing fucking thing. Maybe I don't watch the news or something, but uh, I had the windows open and shit, and a giant cloud of smoke just took over all of New York City. And uh, so I closed the windows, but I, I do smoke cigarettes still uh so when i was like go when i would normally would take a smoke break i just walked outside and it was very relaxing i was in flavor country i would even say (laughs) takes the edge off it is just burning wood which is kind of yeah there's less tar in it than right that's the thing it can't be good for you but at least it's not breathing in 9-11 it's not a bunch of like plastic particles and shit you know it's not it's not 9-11, but actually, I think I am going to contradict myself because I did ask someone the other day, why is it like, like, is it just a coincidence that this cloud is rolling through New York? And this might be complete bullshit, but somebody was explaining to me, well, there's a bunch of crap in the air already in New York, which caused it to like fuse with the already New York bad air and like stick. Uh-oh. And that's why it's like extra bad here is because it just like turned into a hell cloud. That's oh. the only logical reason we would have like the worst air in the world. Like we're not <laughs> that close to Canada. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we the state does border it, but it's also like six, eight hours to the, the border from the city. So, uh, I mean, I, I really appreciate all the people on the West Coast who are like, first fire. Um, <laughs> the end of the world sucks so bad we just have to watch all these dark souls cutscenes like roll into our lives and then go online and be like what is president trump the heir now and that's like your sole <laughs> moment of solace <laughs> as you watch the curtains drawn on a habitable world why is it garfield world outside yo oh mm. i didn't realize jim davis was uh drawing today <laughs> 
Did you see uh, that? Uh, like the new Diablo game came out like the mm-hmm. day that this happened, and it, there's a huge billboard that says like New York City, welcome to hell, like which is supposed to not hit as hard. Blizzard has gone too far in their advertising promotions. <laughs> I bet yeah. they had. I bet had they had Canadian intel, then they knew this was going to happen on that day. Somebody told them to slow down uh, with their whole vibe after they uh, sexually harassed all those women who worked for them and got in trouble for that. And the only thing you can do in this culture is speed up. Just break Mm. the earth on the Diablo 4 release. That moves games. I played it for the first time yesterday. Uh, You can do this. Hey, this is an important information to announce for this episode. If you know somebody with a console in Diablo 4, you can play couch co-op. You can Whoa. sit down two controllers on a couch and play. I don't own the game, but I got to play. It's pretty dope. I'm glad the world is ending. That's cool. Pat Robertson. Dude, Pat Robertson. Pat Robin. Fuck. I can't say. You know why I can't say his name? Because somebody I know at, fucked up and said Robert Pattinson died. And now my. <laughs> You're thinking of Christopher Robbins, <laughs> Winnie the, the Pooh's friend. Yeah, he's he died and and good because he was really homophobic. Canceled, which is weird. Canceled but, boy, Christopher Robin. Yeah, but the evangelical motherfucker died. That's pretty cool. Right, he is gone. Um, and I mean, I'm sure he would have some nasty stuff to say about this. Uh, I remember not, after 9/11, he blamed that on abortion and gay people and stuff. Um. My man's but, bitten. <laughs> yeah, he was. I didn't have cable growing up, so I didn't get to watch like you know the horror, a lot of horror movies on late at night. But what I did have was in some ways scarier, and that was the Seven Hundred Club. Uh, just this evil guy from Virginia Beach droning on about how we're all going to hell unless we give him money. Um, he uh actually kind of ties into what we're going to be discussing today. He was a candidate for president in 1988 and was like dissatisfied that the Reagan administration was not further right and trying to repeal Roe v. Wade. Uh, And to counter him, George H.W. Bush, who was then vice president, dispatched his son, George W. Bush, to be a liaison to the evangelical community uh, because people forget H.W. Papa was not a big religious nut. He was not an evangelical, but his son was. He got sober because of the word of God uh, and kind of was able to bring this coalition along. But um, Pat Robertson, evil guy, really nasty guy. He launched this presidential campaign and then, you know, was able to uh, have this big TV program, the 700 Club, and did a lot of shady shit in regards to uh, humanitarian aid and philanthropy. What um, was the show? Was it just like early Twitter circles where you basically, have like yeah. disease-brained uh, a geriatrics go on TV and be like, I think uh, the smoke from 9-11 is from being gay. What do you What do you think? Right. It, it, it was him and this his wife who was this Elvira-looking woman, and they would just like... She's nice. Like, yeah, Elvira's hot. Maybe not a, like a skeleton, skeletor woman. Elvira, uh, yeah, the opposite of a, you know, she's for the Lord. I gotta look this up now. 
skeleton woman, you say. Yeah, go but on. they would just they would talk about how the world is going to end any minute because of all the sin and you got to repent and save yourself. But um, I, I want to talk on sin for a moment, if you don't mind. Uh, it's cool. I was watching the Jared Fogel documentary the other day, which is I do not recommend. It's fucked up. I kind of went into that thinking like, uh, you know, these stories often have a bit of nuance to them. And I wonder if he's going to come off as some sort of possibly you know contrarianly sympathetic character like that jeffrey dahmer show or whatever that dude is evil all right uh he's <laughs> fucked up it's real bad but one thing that was really fucked up about it is that he did sort of explain or at least argue in his like book he wrote apparently which that shouldn't happen but jared fogel wrote a book about his life and he explained in it uh, or at least I think he explained after the fact when he got busted for being a monster is that he uh, he said that because he he crashed like he he dieted so hard he crashed dieted and like you know destroyed this coping mechanism that he had which was a relationship with food which is like what a, you know an eating disorder is he thinks it like because he cut that off it remanifested itself as other things right that so, made him a whoa. pedophile yeah <laughs> so when i was watching it i was kind of like just eat a sandwich like it's like <laughs> <laughs> this seems worse it's know? the lesser of two evils is what it is it's the voting democrat of bad behaviors <laughs> between binge eating and pedophilia for real just be a fat guy fat guys are cool right and but with what you just said about george w bush i'm also kind of thinking like dude like have a beer because like the fact that that <laughs> turned him into a christian caused fucking all this shit man nobody needs to die if it's freaking wine o'clock uh -oh. i mean he you know he he had a big christian uh contingent in his uh constituency is probably uh, arguably gave him i'm doing counterfactuals now anders do you like me now ah. uh, <laughs> he get you know maybe he wouldn't have won if he wasn't um you know, a warrior for the Lord. I don't know. No, probably not. Yeah, he he needed that uh, guy. Those guys to get him over the hump. But uh, I mean, it's interesting. Robertson kind of had another vice too, and that was diamonds. He was a big diamond guy. My uh, diamonds. <laughs> there's a book, um, "The Best Democracy Money Can Buy," which came out during the Bush years, and it goes into how Pat Robertson was doing all these trips to Congo and near Rwanda and other places in on the continent of Africa and uh was actually not cracking many biblical texts or religious books he was just reading the diamond stocks and like looking at how the diamond markets were doing turns out that his operation blessing international his nonprofit org was uh supposed to be helping people after the Rwanda genocide and just basically went gave all the resources instead to uh diamond mining and uh, got these <laughs> that's uh, a wild move man that's crazy yeah. that you could pull off uh non-profit like heavy industrial machinery i don't know really? how you cover that up the only diamond mining you should be doing is in the new misogynist blizzard game diablo uh four is it this is also the first thing i thought was that diamond mining is a form of loot and yeah. then post-genocide Rwanda is probably full of loot because of all the dead people. 
I don't have it. I haven't played the game yet, but I'm assuming they brought back the jewel socketing system, which is when you take diamonds and shit and put them in your sword and it gives you like plus 10 accuracy or something. Jay, can I just say they've really expanded the skill trees? But yes, this is a very evil man. True. Almost like a like a demon of sorts. (laughs) Like a Diablo. Yeah, that's they should do a Diablo. The next one should be about Pat Robertson. I think the next one should be about Pat Roberts. They haven't done that crossover with that series yet, where they stop doing all these Belials and Liliths and turn to like Hitler is inside of the barn. Can you (laughs) defeat his wings? (laughs) Yeah, it would be cool. I mean, he kind of, as a Christian, I guess, thinks of himself as the character that kills Diablo, but he's actually not. Dead. Yeah. At he least was. he got to live to see the end of Roe versus Wade. So mm. every story has its ending. I, yeah, I am happy for him. It is kind of, I guess for him, like the fact that the blood moon happened over New York and all the monsters respawned the day or the week he died or whatever during yeah. Pride Month, which he hated, for him, that's probably kind of cool. Looking up from heaven where he is, down on us, he's probably laughing and going like, ah, ah, diamonds now, because there's smoke everywhere. And he's got (laughs) diamonds, yeah. He's blowing (laughs) smoke on us. Um, Real quick, I don't know if we have time to get to uh, Livy rising up Baby Gronk, but uh, we are talking right after Trump was indicted yet again. And um, Can I tell you something? I have yeah. decided I'm going to be late for work because I think I'm going to quit my job today. So fucking let her in. Wow. Man. Talk about baby Gronk. <laughs> you want to talk about baby Gronk? Okay. This is well, a trap. Libby Liv- rizzed him up, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> you hear about this? Uh, Libby is a gymnast who is at LSU. There was a child... Uh, his name is his real name is Madden San Miguel, Dear who God. is eight eight years old or is ten, uh, but he has hundreds of thousands of Instagram followers and is like considered the top college football prospect for like the year twenty thirty, um, which you know is it's kind of weird that they're tracking kids this young, but there's a it's hard to tell what exa- exactly is going on. I mean, this is clearly a joke, but there is uh, a TikTok where he says, like, I was made in the lab. I'm a clone. Um, and I was produced with the DNA of multiple NFL players. Uh, but he visited LSU and got rizzed up, got a, basically got a hug from a young woman named Livy, who's a. Yeah, Livy. She even hugged him. Right. Um, but, you know, she denies flirting with him because he was 10. He's 10 years old. This is uh, the this is the strangest 10 year old I have ever seen. He has like the cocky adult sports guy haircut where you have like a shaved mullet uh, because yeah. you were made in a lab to play football. His father did an interview with the New York Times where he essentially said like, yeah, um, I made him this way on purpose. We practice football six out of the seven days a week. We're like training. I put my entire future on my son playing football. And it is immediately like a call child protective services this man is attempting yeah. to make a football monster for it looks like he has sleeve tattoos he's 10 years old what is that <laughs> i think they're probably just temporary but 
He does uh, a temporary sleeve every day? <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Uh, maybe he's inked. I don't know. But yeah, usually this type of thing does not end well. This kid is not going to do great uh, emotionally, intellectually. I mean, uh, people forget the RoboQB, Todd, uh, whatever his name is. He actually had a good relationship with his dad. He wanted to do, but even the, just the pressure of being the Robo QB, the baby Gronk, that can mess with your head a lot. That's why they're keeping Arch Manning, who's the nephew of Peyton Manning, uh, seen as a top prospect. They're like keeping him away from the media. He doesn't do interviews and stuff because they don't want to drive him nuts, which is what's going to happen to baby Gronk. I'm sad to say uh, he does have competition from baby Diggs, who was another 10 year old and apparently they're going to do a one-on-one at some point i don't know how you're going to do that in football uh it's almost like an idea a 10 year old came up with yeah there's like some Um, stretching their kid out like he's gonna be the nba we stretch him every day he's (laughs) really tall for an eight-year-old you put him on the medieval uh torture device and just slowly stretch the rack one (laughs) one rank at a time every day when I was on uh, on my way to Austin a couple weeks ago to do those shows, there was a fucking um, this there was a San Antonio Spur on the flight with me, and he was nice, mainly tall. When you meet an NBA player, you're like, oh, the world isn't like built for you. Yeah, and he like looked insane inside of this airplane. Uh, he also, I felt really bad for him. He was one of those giant vampire guys that, that are in the NBA now. Like he told me, my name is or whatever the fuck. <laughs> Yes. Uh, I forgot. I forgot. He's like, oh, you met him? You got to like talk to him? Yeah, I talked to him a little bit. I think he saw me taking a picture of him. Uh, oh, he cool. About it. But he fucking got sat in a middle seat. It was very, it was like, man, holy shit. Dude, Can't. so I'm watching, I just watched this uh, ESPN documentary about Bill Walton, who was a hippie ginger who became an NBA star in the 70s and just was like anti-war and all this stuff. Cool guy. His parents, though, uh, were they were not athletes. They didn't care about sports, but they met at a tall person's club in the 1940s. Uh, You had to be at least six, four minimum if you're a guy, five, ten and a half if you're a woman. So all these tall people in Southern California were like breeding and they bred Bill Walton. And he is too tall. Like he kept would keep having injuries. And to this day, like half his body is fake because he would continually hurt himself from just being so tall uh, it's white to get to that club right probably at that point yeah that goes without saying <laughs> this was in the past mind you no but yeah being tall it, it comes with his its drawbacks at some point apparently he doesn't like being reminded that he's over seven feet and he'll say no i'm only six nine yeah. um, nice but I'm sorry, in any to case, you tall gentlemen. You gotta wonder what's gonna happen with these child sports prodigies the minute they go through puberty, and it's like, oh, I'm normal size. I'm not gonna be a star athlete because I'm normal size. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't we wait till after this happened to train me? Yeah. Uh, oh, I should mention also the video that went viral. Apparently, that's kind of ironic. It's like a, t- according to Defector, this is a Tony Zaret style bit. Uh, <laughs> it was very doing. funny. But there are they are real people. Um, but yeah, in any case, Trump indicted. I don't think I don't think this is going to go anywhere. I, I tweeted this, but it really reminds me of on The Simpsons. You know, when Mister Burns goes to the Mayo Clinic. Have you seen this episode? Uh, he's told that. 
he has three stooges syndrome which is when you have a like it's obviously a fake thing but when you have like 10 diseases at once but they're all stuck in the door and none of them can get through the door because there's too many there uh that i think is what's happening with all of trump's court cases there's just so many that none of them are going to touch him or prevent him from running for office and maybe even being elected again i truly mastermind i think he'll be eating a foot long in prison (laughs) <laughs> and uh, it's yeah. uh, the game is it's checkmate for the Cheeto in chief is what I'm here to say. It's I'm always saying outside like the damn president. <laughs> well, that's correct. Uh, <laughs> we got another president we alluded to. We are going to be discussing today. Uh, uh, George W. Bush, George Walker Bush. Isn't it weird? We had two George Bushes in the span of 20 years. Like odds. Yeah, it was about to be Bush, Clinton, Bush, Clinton. Um, I remember I just kind of wanted that to happen for a while, which is um, why I was early on sympathetic to Hillary in 07. I just wanted that, you know, little Bush, Clinton, Bush, Clinton, when you say all the presidents in a row. That's a form of OCD, I was going to say. Yes. Um, But that didn't happen, for better or worse. Uh, But we did have eight years of George W. Bush, which has been in many ways memory hold. And we have a friend who has compiled a bunch of footage into a film, a documentary about the Bush years. And we are going to be talking to him right now. Bush. Yeah, man. I finished my snack pancake. (laughs) We are now joined by filmmaker Chris Bell. Uh, who has a new movie, Miss Me Yet. Uh, Chris, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. And this is, uh, how, how would you describe this? It's um, a, a retrospective, if you will, on a uh, period in American history. Uh, what's How would you uh, sum it up in a, a quick, uh, pithy little um, blunt uh, sentence or two? Um, I guess it's a series of what it felt like to be living under George W. Bush using only archival material um, kind of infused with uh, general cultural items of the time. It's the Bush experience raw, no condom. (laughs) Saying like, miss me with that. Jack. Yeah, uh, yeah. I do remember seeing the George Bush Miss Me Yet's uh memes, I guess you would call them. Well, they uh, were like billboards. I remember I remember this. I thought it was just in Minnesota, but I guess maybe it was uh elsewhere in the country. There's these billboards like two months into the Obama presidency with Bush's face and Miss Me Yet. And uh it seemed like I mean some Republican millionaire i think took them out but i think the general consensus uh even then was like no we don't no. Uh, he actually won by a uh record-breaking landslide that has <laughs> not been seen since the reagan administration i yeah, thought that was, this me yet was uh he put that out during trump to be like remember how bad you thought i was well, know. it's a, it's a, it's always true. Is the thing. Once <laughs> Miss Meets are in the game, you can play them in any hand. Well, c- Chris, what was the uh, reason for the for the title? Um, for the meme. Um, okay. <laughs> but you know, Jake is kind of right that like it definitely came back during the Trump era because that's when I got the idea to do the exact movie, which was like 2015 when you started seeing him more 
sharing candy with uh, Michelle Obama and, and dancing and stuff like that. Um, that was when the meme got a little real and people were being like, I think we do miss him now. I and, miss him uh, so much. <laughs> yeah. But now we're saying, now I'm trying to tell you that we don't. We don't miss him. We shouldn't miss him. And that's what the series is about. It is an important uh, lesson worth reiterating, as I feel like sometimes people do be missing him. Um, But uh, when you're going back and watching it, there's almost no moment of the W. Bush administration where you're watching this guy and you're like, he's got this. People (laughs) will miss him later. Mm-hmm. It's not really coming across. I although you know, mixed in when you were playing like the advertisements from two thousand two or whatever that was hitting me at a very vulnerable spot in my brain. But uh, I don't think that's related. I don't think you can give George Bush that win. Yeah, that's not that he had nothing to do with that. That's the UPN really, network. I really got my bit across earlier, but I've been talking like a zoomer a lot lately, and I was trying to do George W. Bush going miss me with this toxicity or whatever you know is that your impression can you do a really bad i'm not in good shape (laughs) let's uh, let's seed the floor for a minute really let jake stretch his legs (laughs) on zoomer george bush (laughs) (laughs) miss me with that fuck i you almost said jack it sounded like you were gonna say yeah no that was biden It's it's hard to do an impression of former presidents, you know. Whoever the current one is, is kind of permeates the the impression landscape. But that's how uh, it works. Kind of only do a, an impression of the current president. That's how the no, landscape it clouds. Is, it clouds the the impression. The mode. landscape, the impression landscape becomes clouded. <laughs> um, but speaking of Zoomers, this begins, I guess, when a lot of Zoomers were born in in two thousand. Uh, you start with the and in each year, interestingly, starts with this video of Bush. Um, it used to be kind of a meme before memes were more of a thing. But I remember in the Bush years, we would see this a lot on the Internet, him flicking off the camera. What's the story behind that image and that that scene? Um, like, where did it originally come from? Yes. Um, I think it was even like pre-governor, but it was like just him on a local tv network caught um doing that there's a movie called like uh there's two movies that tapped into the feeds of local tv networks one is called feed oh yes i've seen that that's about uh 92 right yeah 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 it's a great one both really good um but i think it's like in general one of those and it started like cropping up it was like early internet and it's also just like people having that ability to you see a president like off camera doing something really bad and that was the thing too where it was just like guy he was like into drugs and stuff he's he's not who he says he is like christian like guy like that i remember that being like a thing like early on in the internet right i remember another video there was like the bushisms uh was this website i think they also sold calendars and shit um but there was they had books, but there's my a, mother a really... had the bottle opener. And for the first like four years, I started drinking every time I got drunk was just to George Bush saying when wings take dream <laughs> and stuff like that. There were so many and they seem, yeah, so innocent um, compared to Trumpisms, I guess. But uh, the 
there was another video of him being drunk. Um, it was kind of weird to see because he was sober for his entire presidency and I think uh, before he became governor as well. But um, the 2000 election, you open with with that uh, Bush v. Gore, um, all that stuff. Uh, what kind of movie do you think you would because, you know, very close election could have gone a different way. Um, what kind of movie you think you would be making or would you be making a movie like this if uh, Al Gore had been the president in, in 2000? Yeah. Who's to say? Um, I guess I'll answer like this is that like, obviously I'm happy I did the, the series and I'm proud of it. Um, but it is one of those things where it's just like people do kind of look back at Bush in a good way, but to like, I don't know, people like us, it's like, yeah, of course, Bush is bad, whatever. So maybe the more interesting series would be like Obama or Clinton, which I'm not going to do because this took <laughs> eight years. But, um, you know, could possibly be a more interesting thing where it's like, oh, Al Gore, like, you know, nice guy, cares about the environment. Like, where would we be now? Like, how different would it be? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like possibly more biting because people would, I guess, like audiences in general for this movie would probably be more receptive to looking back on Al Gore in a like kinder way where it's like, I oh, tried just couldn't mm. you know, do it. But it is kind of interesting because now that people watch it, they, you see that little, that first part of the debate and Al Gore is just like, Oh, like we really care about the 99%. And he's like talking yeah. about like almost like the labor theory of value being like, they built that wealth that like we now use, which is like, an interesting thing to look at because like you really don't remember people talking like that back then. And it's like, would that have even mattered? It's like a debate performance, but it's kind of like striking to see. And I talked to people after the screening, they were like surprised that Al Gore talked about that. And it's like, I'm not sure it really means much, but um, it's interesting. Watching the media landscape change from the year 2000 to now it feels like it's been 200 years and also no change has been made in the culture at the same time um, where, I don't know, movies feel like they have a similar uh, uh, thing. Like the, a movie even made in 1975 feels more different than a movie made in 2000. And a movie made in 2000 feels like a movie made now, I would say. But at the same time, uh, all of the apparatus of how our politics function and the immediate, like, uh, uh, banter around it and the the takes and the uh, opinion columns and all of that, that's all night and day different. There's a whole scene in this of George Bush uh, lighting a Christmas tree in 2004 where a crowd gathers and applauds when the Christmas tree goes up. And I guess stuff like that must still happen for Biden, but I couldn't imagine watching it on TV now. Like, I, I can't imagine there's footage of that around. Mm. Yeah, there probably is. Like, I'm sure there's still, like, like, I think I remember you guys must have seen the turkey pardons. I think Obama mm-hmm. must have done that. Yep. Um, but that is something where it's like, does Biden do that? Like, I don't even, like, do I watch that? I have no idea. Um, yeah, there's a lot of really strange things that come. A lot of a lot of people seem to think that commercials are different now. And I wonder that. I wonder if we just don't watch them. Um Cause I'm thinking about like how sexual the commercials were back then. Like there's that soap commercial with the woman like orgasming in the shower 
Mm-hmm. And it's like, because the water is really cold. Well, it's the soap that's doing it, but... It, the soap does um, it, to be clear. The soap, yeah, the soap is the thing. Yeah. Um, soap was different back then. Yeah, they don't do... Like, Irish Spring is different, you know? They don't, I, it's, I don't know. I think TV's for old people now. Yeah. I mean, they still have commercials. I just realized this the other day, because I feel like commercials have gotten more repetitive uh, you know, when a special, I mean, I guess I only see them because I watch sports sometimes and it's like the same commercials over and over and over again in a way that I don't recall about when I would watch TV more regularly. And I think part of that is because, uh, they like, there's a commercial that I've seen hundreds of times that I didn't even know what it was for until like two days ago. Like I, cause I would hear it in the background cause now you're doing so many other things at the same time. Uh, whereas back then you're just kind of sucked into the boob tube. Um, but one the the beginning of the movie I've, I found interesting the two thousand one chapter uh, and a period I always uh, find fascinating to look back on is those first eight months of the Bush presidency before nine eleven which kind of seems like a bizarro world when you look back on it because you know he's it's all the funny stuff about Bush being president without all the war on terror stuff yet he's just he's just a clown and it's hilarious and people are mad at him. Uh, what were the vibes like for those first eight months? Um, did you even consider maybe doing like an entire movie just about that, that period because of the striking contrast? No. And you know why? (laughs) Because there's like nothing like it's, you know, part of the appeal of doing this, um, series was that it's like, you know, you, you, I made it so that like, okay, I'm starting at 2000 and I'm ending at like 2008 and maybe going after that. But you have a period of like shitty looking video and then slowly getting more like HD and slowly even getting more video. Um, but in 2000, there's like not really a lot. Um, so even before 9-11, I remember it's like, okay, like he's coming in and he feels a little bit um, like he knows he knows he did something. Um, he knows he's like not very popular. So he's like not as um, in tune a little bit. And I remember there just being like a dearth of interesting videos, you know, where I wouldn't mm-hmm. have to then put like a ton of title cards explaining like, oh, yeah, he was like, you know, sort of like making appeals to doing something different with China or whatever. And it's like, how interesting is this? Like, it would be a lot of work to make people like sit and watch that so like i tried to have like a little like more of like a little short clip montage of just being like not a lot happened until Mm -hmm. the big thing happened Um, how long did um how long did it take you to make this movie again eight years eight years eight years and i know this is physically impossible but watching it really does feel like a modded version of skinamarink with george bush added in interesting there's like a creeping unsettling feeling and uh old footage playing in the background, but you get the sense that something is like deeply fundamentally wrong in a way that will affect your life. All right. Well, I'm going to put that on the poster. Um, <laughs> that's, what, that's seen, what I'm here for. <laughs> I haven't seen skin Rink yet. Um, oh, it's like your movie. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm going to put that on there. Well, the, um, y- as you're alluding to, like, like it feels like kind of the um, the break of the routine, if you will, is 9-11. It really kicks things off uh, in an exciting way, as was very true to life. Um, but you chose to, I think, include the entirety of the My Pet Goat 
situation where he's in the classroom in Florida, which has now been kind of resuscitated as a meme recently as the Sura second plane has hit the World Trade Center. Uh, but some of our younger listeners may not remember. He just sat there. He sat there in the classroom, picked up a book called My Pet Goat and read the book. Uh, can you talk about your decision to include most, if not all of that footage? And what do you think was going through that man's head at that time? Yeah. So a lot of parts of the series is like trying to recontextualize things, especially moments like that, that are like, again, memefied. Um, kind of do the same with, um, now watch this drive where it's like, yeah, yeah like then we watch him, <laughs> you know, it's not just like, he says the thing we go away. It's like, no, we watch that drive. <laughs> um, it was pretty good. But yeah. He did a nice job. Um, nice drive. But, uh, yeah, my pet go, I was really struck because I'm surprised that there was video. And then I was watching and I was like, it's kids and you get to see like them doing this exercise. And I'm like, this is really interesting to sit here and watch in this moment. So it's something that we're familiar with, but not familiar with. So let me like put in like this, like kind of context where we're like, we know what's happening. Like the foreboding is building, building up and then where it should break, it doesn't like we keep going with that. The context um, of it is very curb your enthusiasm of imagine you're president and nine 11 has happened. How do you get out of this book reading you've signed up for? And yeah. it's then that's why George Bush is fun sometimes is because he's the biggest fucking like fuck up president we've, we've had in a long time. And uh, he's a uh, he's a very um, he doesn't seem up to the task all the time. And in that way, it's relatable kind of trying to watch him be the president because you just get the like impression of like this guy's just trying to clock in and uh, he can't do it very well. We've all who hasn't yeah. been there. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's funny about that because I'm that footage. Michael Moore would carry around in the mid 2000s in case a uh, conservative tried to challenge him on it, and because so, you know you didn't have, uh, it wasn't as easy to pull stuff up online back then, and people would say, "No, he wasn't sitting there for five minutes. He got up." And Michael Moore is like, "Well, I got the the VHS or DVD right here. You want to watch?" Uh, and then they would kind of amazing people would try to make excuses for him like well he was just trying to control himself because he was so upset that if he had gotten up and left the room he would have done it in a really dramatic emotional way so he was containing himself by sitting there reading the book uh which is it's just kind of amazing that this was not used against him just that and also the entire malpractice of letting 9-11 happen um just incredible malpractice on the part of of his opposition who was that? Um, she's not so big anymore. Who's that like blonde conservative who was on Bill Maher a lot? Ann Coulter. Ann Coulter. I remember um, when I used to watch Bill Maher. Um, she brought that up because Michael Moore would always talk about it. And he, she was like, her her um, counter was like, well, what was he supposed to do? Like, what would he do at that moment where it would matter? And like part of that is just like, yeah, I guess you're right. Like at that point. But um, it's also not not weird that he doesn't do anything. Um, yeah. So like, what would he do? But then like, if you really think about it, it's just like, how much did he know that like something was going to happen at some point? And like, mm. it's, know, really it's hard for me to answer. Yeah. yeah. It's hard for me to answer like what's going on in his head. Right. And like, what he thinks is like going to happen or what is happening, that kind of thing. That's the other spicy question. Don't feel the need to, to answer this, but uh, do you think he did 9-11? 
did he do 9 11 yeah. um i think i think they must have known that something was going to happen at some point and it's like how much did bush know versus how much did dick cheney and i don't know other right. intelligence um operators know what was going on i know there's a lot of um i haven't read it yet but there's a lot of uh good writing on it from like Peter Dale Scott and stuff like that about um, certain things that happened during those like moments, I don't know, weeks of nine 11 where like the country changed in ways that we don't even know, like they won't reveal, like we're still in kind of um, state of emergency from nine 11 Mm -hmm. where they've like suspended things that like, we don't even really know about. Um, Right. I mean, that's part of the, that whole odds, uh, 2000 zeitgeist is the 9-11 conspiracy theories, which I've gone back and forth on. I like, you know, like a lot of people, I got the VHS of, I think it was Loose Change or maybe Loose some change. other. Yeah, I got the VHS of that added anti-Iraq war uh, demonstration the first day I tried pot when I was like 15. Nice. Uh, <laughs> and it was like, this what is a all, day. man. Yeah. But then you go back and forth. It's like, oh, the, all this, a lot of this stuff is debunked by, you know, popular mechanics like the uh, jet fuel thing. That's kind of bullshit. But, but then again, you know, I am kind of persuaded by perhaps the administration knew stuff was going to happen and just did not act and let it happen. Uh, and then administered this regime of, you know, basic, almost authoritarian level uh, policies against, uh, uh, especially Muslims in the country. Um, what what was your experience in the Bush years? I, I mean, we're all around the same age. Um, wh- how did you re- react to these things as they happened? 9-11, Iraq War, etc. Why didn't you stop it? <laughs> yeah, it well, it was dumb. It was much there dumber. Was a, I mean, he was reading a great book, I bet. I bet you were subsumed by my pet goat as well. Um, you know, I was in like kind of punk circles, so I knew Bush was bad. It was that kind of thing, but you know, I didn't really know why, but I was also dumber. I remember being in like, um, history class. What 9-11 happened when I was, I think was, in, I was in ninth grade, 10th grade. Um, I was kind of confused. I was just like, I was like one guy did it. Like, what do you mean? Like we can't get him. Like I didn't get it. Um, so I was mostly confused. And then I was like a kid going to school. I remember the fervor. I remember like, gym class changing and someone came up to me we my, some of my friends had like an anti-war table in the cafeteria and like some of the kids were like freaking out they're like they shouldn't do that that's inappropriate and one kid like came up to my came up in my face and was just like you're not one of those like are you um i said i was but all right made, yeah yeah they made such a hoopla that the next day there was like a pro-war table Oh my um, god. Yeah. With like the one libertarian kid in my class and you know everyone else annoying. Um it was a crazy time and a kind of like you're a teen and you're in puberty so other things kind of take over in your head. But yeah, I remember feeling like we all kind of know this is bad and those who don't think it's bad are weirdos like the libertarian kid. Um, but that was my experience. I wasn't really active in anything. I was just like trying to get into music and stuff like that. Yeah. It's funny. I remember, you know, when I was in, in high school and that was my first really political act was going to, uh, anti-Iraq war demonstrations and they were organized in the twin cities where I was living at the time by 
an organization called Youth Against War and Racism. And I remember this conservative girl from my high school who would come to the rallies and say, well, I'm for the war, but I'm against racism. Uh, <laughs> so in some ways, and South Park kind of lampooned this, but um, in some ways it was just a way for kids to just cut class, which is fair enough. But uh, there was like a massive mobilization against uh, these wars. And I think, um, or at least against the Iraq war, Afghanistan, you know, this has been memory hold too, but uh, there were some brave people who actually stood up and said, no, we're against this um, bombing this place, even though some, you know, may have been plotted there, 9-11. But uh, that, you know, this uh, or this actually kind of galvanized into a, a mass movement in a way that I think was kind of unprecedented, right? Because Vietnam, um, those demonstrations didn't really start until the war had really kicked off. Uh, and I think the fact that you see in 2003 people coming out and protesting before the war even happens, uh, I mean, Chomsky repeats that point a lot, but it is at least kind of a nice thing to tell ourselves, right, that people were against this. Uh, in our country, even though it just absolutely obliterated uh, a different part of the world. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. It's like we tried. Um, it was definitely like a media blackout on that. Um, so it's almost like how much did it matter? Like it didn't change anything. But you look at like something I tried to do again in the series was like recontextualizing stuff. And someone was taken aback because you obviously have Michael Moore coming out. Um having some booze and like the Academy Awards, but let's get the Dixie chicks who yeah. said something like not even that bad, like at the performance. And then they have like a whole special on it. And then the way I forget who the um, person is that is interviewing them in that, like, like I forget what oh, show Diane Sawyer. I think so. I think it might be Diane Sawyer, maybe someone else. Yeah. Well, she does like a little intro before they get to the interview. And it's just like, they said that they were ashamed that the president was from Texas and they're against the war, even though 70% of Americans are for the war, <laughs> which is like such a weird thing. And it kind of teaches you a lot about how the media will kind of, it's like, yeah, we're going to tackle this. Um, subject but we're going to do it in a way where it's like we're really like dictating the terms and as to like what people are going to take away from this where it's just like you know there's no citation there's no like 70 percent of america like what does that mean for the yeah. war like and it's like if you're for the war did that mean that you thought that it was al-qaeda or it was like you know the country of iraq like hit us like you know there's no analysis of like what this actually means but they like kind of you know, it's a system kind of like reinforcing itself, like replicating itself, just being like uh, we're manufacturing consent is what they're doing. Mm -hmm. it, yeah, it took you know, real. Um, it, it's it's good going through this and uh, just setting the whole story out on a timeline, because when you see some of the facts of the uh, the war on terror and the Bush presidency just laid out, it is pretty egregious, like the fact that um we invaded Afghanistan and demanded they tell us where Osama bin Laden was and they offered to give him to us and we invaded them anyway and he got away. Like everyone knows that now, but because it's 20 years later, it's really hard to sink your teeth into the fact like they did 
the thing in theory we were we said we were doing like we we could have just done it and then a million people wouldn't have had to die um and it it took a lot of bravery to come out against these things there were real social and political consequences like we saw happening to the dixie chicks and this is like happening now in uh the war in ukraine you know there were all those big peace protests last year with all those russians and uh they're essentially put in the same situation where there is political backlash for opposing this war that is not very popular and there's very little it feels like you could do to stop the 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 gears of war from just uh running over all these people Right. Well, they were, yeah, the Russians were straight up put in, in jail uh, in many cases, which uh, thankfully that did not happen to the, the Dixie Chicks, as far as I'm aware. But uh, it is weird to see that, like, the real voices of dissent are the Dixie Chicks and Michael Moore and not, like, the Democratic Party, which basically gave Bush everything he wanted. Um, did that kind of give you a little more respect for Michael Moore? Like, because now he gets kind of made fun of. He's a punchline. He's a resistance lib. And, you know, he was, you know, he's soda waffling between uh, Bernie bro and just, yeah, like resistance uh, guy. But um, the fact that he was really one of the only voices of dissent in the United States in a major public way, did that kind of give you more respect for him in, in retrospect? I've always been weirdly on the fence with Michael Moore. Um, you know, I'll say this, like going to film school and then like not getting a job in film. Like I was a security guard for after college because it's like the only job I could get. I remember all the guys like, oh, would you go to school for or whatever? And um, it would always come up and they're like, so what'd you think? What'd you think about Michael Moore? <laughs> you know, they'd wait for your um, opinion. It was like always like kind of a thing. And, you know, I was always just like, he was always weird. I remember listening to an interview with him during the Trump years. And he was just like, Oh, like Michelle Obama should run. Like shit. Yeah. Like it, <laughs> the question is like, Oh, who take down Trump? And he's like, Michelle Obama or like Tom Hanks. And <laughs> you know, you have to wrestle in your head. You're like, you know, and we had just had Bernie and there was going to be like another, like probably going to run again, but you did and it didn't work out, but we all know. Um, but I was just like, Oh, why didn't you just say that? But like, like I, I see where he's coming from when he says stuff like that. So it's always like a middle thing. Um, I do appreciate, I think it was like Bowling for Columbine. Um, he has like a, the montage of like all of the governments we overthrew, like Chile mm -hmm. and um, I think Guatemala's in there. Um, I think that a lot of Gen X, uh, like, you know, leftists, what's confusing about them is that they are radical in addition to being liberals, whereas we are mm. radical as opposed to being liberals. Mm. Like they see it as like, oh, the Democrats are trying the best they can, but you know, uh, they can't do all this stuff that, like, you know, that, that I also think is good, but they can't do it or whatever. I always maintain this is because they turned off the Cold War juice after the Soviet Union fell. So, like, you and I didn't go to school getting the, uh, Democrat is the farthest left position you're allowed to have uh, propaganda jammed into you at the age of 12 the way they did, because uh, that's going to affect your brain for the rest of your life. Like you're you're not going to hedge politically much farther than that, at least on like a mass scale. Yeah. Right. I have some sympathy for that because, you know, it's just like our parents are there or our grandparents were like, 
you know, going under school desks because they thought like the Soviet Union was going to bomb. And it's like, that's got to fuck you up. You know, I, I don't know, like, you know, more manufacturing consent, like you don't have, like, you're never going to think to even look outside of that. Um, and it's just like, how are you interacting with any, like any leftism when it's like, even if you knew someone or you were someone in a union, like people who were super left in unions were like purged. You had all of that. So it's like, yeah, Gen X was like right, like not too long after that. So they're going to be like really weird and very frustrating. Um, that's their that's their thing, though. I don't know. It's also the cutoff of internet brain, right? Because you, like we were talking about with the Dixie Chicks, if you wanted uh, access to media in the year two thousand, you had to go on TV and talk to whatever dead-eyed psycho they give the job to interview you. And so they're starting the conversation. The conversation starts with, why would you be mean to George Bush? Whereas now, if you want media attention, you just go on TikTok and are like, uh, women are cutting off dicks, but they don't want us to know about it because uh, it's Sagittarius <laughs> rising. Uh, and like, if you can string together word salad in a ways that like uh, puts together the the puzzle of social commentariat, you can gather social capital that way. So there, it really is the wild west right now, and it allows for a greater diversity of thought at the expense of you know the ability for anyone to do anything. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah. yeah, they didn't have internet brain. Well, I think one of the big differences too is like this is our kind of cold war like they they grew up with the specter of the ussr um at least for a while and we had al-qaeda and 9-11 but the the difference is that dissipated pretty quickly that project failed almost ob pretty objectively like even republic the republican party and, and the former trump ended up admitting that was a huge mistake in a way that i don't think quite happened with the cold war because the narrative was we defeated the soviet union in the u.s in the 2000s and 21st century so far it's that that american project just shat the bed and fucked up created an even bigger mess and everybody admits that now so i think in a way uh there's a kind of a disillusionment uh among our generation that in some ways is a positive thing because you think of the word disillusion it means free from illusion um which you know i think is a is a check uh is, is a good thing um but you know one of the other things that i think induced a lot of cynicism among our generation is uh is obama who uh makes some appearances towards the end of the series uh what was your approach to to utilizing uh him in relation to uh george bush um you know i guess i used him very little where i could uh, um yeah but I wanted to kind of like throw him in there, like almost in the background. I know there's a shot where it's like the financial collapse is happening. And um, he's just like, yeah, like, and I brought these guys in and she's like quick cuts, like John McCain and Obama. Um, but, you know, since I, it was centered around like Bush's image, you couldn't really use him too much. And I also like, didn't want to really give anyone the wrong idea about what I was doing. Like, I didn't want mm -hmm. to be like, Oh, and then we were saved by Obama. Cause I very much. <laughs> and that's why that. everything is fine now. Yeah. That's why we have Netflix. Um, <laughs> great content. Well, yeah. Netflix. I mean, you, there are a lot, there's a lot of footage of, uh, Iraqi, uh, people, uh, I almost said civilians, but, uh, just people in Iraq. Um, and there's one of them who's talking about Obama and he basically says, it's just, it's not going to matter. Like that doesn't mm -hmm. change day-to-day -day life here for us at all 
uh, which is pretty much true. Um, but, you know, one thing I did want to ask about also was, um, and this is touched on a little bit, but if you talk to certain people from uh, the continent of Africa, like large place, right? A lot of different views on things. But, you know, I've talked to several people who will say, like, we hate Bush. He's a bad guy. Iraq was a mistake, all that. But he did do some stuff for AIDS that you kind of have to hand it to him for. Um, do you think that's do, – do we have to hand it to him on, on the AIDS issue? Because he did kind of go – up against big pharma and let drugs get uh, into places in Africa at an affordable rate or a free rate. Um, is that a place where we kind of have to give them credit? Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> you know, I don't mind. I remember looking into that and like being like, is there some like other angle to this where it's like, Oh, but it destroyed something they were doing locally. And I couldn't really find it. And like, doesn't really make appearance in the movie because like, I kind of hate the thing where it's like it happens when you're arguing with people, especially like, I mean, in my experience, liberals were like, you're arguing about the Democrats and like, they just want you to give it to them that they're, that they're better, you know, than yeah. the previous. So it's like, you'll argue, you'll argue. And like, that's the only point. And then it seems like anything you've talked about beforehand, as so long as you're like, yes, like they're less bad. Um, that's all that I want. And then the whole conversation is like over. So I get really weird about stuff like that, where it's like, not to say that would happen if I was just like, yeah, like his AIDS initiative was good. Actually. I don't think that would delete the rest of the series. Um, yeah. Well, I try just... not to like, you know, go too far um, or go include something like that too heavy um just because there's so much other things to talk about like do i have do i want to hand it to him like for something like that it's like yeah that's fine but like <laughs> i want to talk about other things you know right well it's just interesting because he you know i feel like had because he clearly is insecure about his place in history as comes through uh towards the end because he's saying like well one day when you get some objective historians they're gonna see that i really knew what i was doing uh, just, I think he knows on some level that the, everything he did as president was bad, just a step backwards in every respect. It, and so he had this crisis of conscience where he's like, I got to do at least one good thing uh, that presidents, turns out, do have the power to do. So he wanted at least some kudos uh, from the general world. Uh, and he he did the right thing there. But um, yeah, legalized weed all the way out the door here in New York. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we actually have those objective historians now, and they are 16-year-old Twitter accounts that love George W. Bush and have him as the Abbey. And uh, yeah, right, there's a lot well, we can that, learn from them. Bush is busted. <laughs> I mean, that's busted or Baca. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> mm. That's a <laughs> I always got to say, uh, I'm always going to have to say Baca on that. Um, but he, I mean, it's funny because, yeah, you mentioned the 16 year olds who he looks to a lot of people quite good in comparison to Trump. He has positioned himself as the anti-Trump uh, Republican. It's it's kind of strange to see uh, he actually voted for Hillary Clinton and I guess then Joe Biden um, did. I mean, is it even conceivable going back to, you know, that 
2008-2009 era where he's leaving the office with his tail between his legs that his image would be uh, rehabilitated in this way? Do you think that was something we could even have comprehended at that time? No, I just want to ask one thing. Is it confirmed that he voted for Hillary and Biden? He definitely voted for Hillary. I know that. Um, Laura told Anders that was how he voted. (laughs) Well, it was after the Jeb Bush thing, you know, because he got Jeb, who was supposed to be the the heir to Papa, um, got washed in 2016 and humiliated. And Trump, you know, blamed, as I said earlier, blamed 9-11 on George W. Bush, which is kind of amazing. Again, if you think to, you know, now that we're like looking back and saying, isn't this inconceivable? It's inconceivable in 2002 to think that a Republican candidate would get the nomination blaming 9-11 on Bush in just a few you know, years from then. Um, but I think that had a lot to do with the, the family as a whole saying we're not going to support this guy. And he's given speeches saying that like Trump is, you know, a xenophobe and uh, all this stuff is not what we stand for as as Republicans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, in retrospect, um, the the pitch on Jeb as would you like some more George Bush is insane because we already we already had two generations and the second one, like essentially retired in shame. Like at the end of 2016, even the people who don't like Obama aren't like and that's why we're putting another George Bush in. That's our big move. <laughs> like no one was on board for that. You'd have to be in so much denial. Okay, so um, apparently Bush wrote in Condoleezza Rice in 2020. Yes! <laughs> yes! Yo, same move. We're going to get him on Team Jill Stein. We can move him left. Um, there, Yeah, so there's another episode of it that's post-presidency. Um, mm-hmm. So to answer your question, I was, was like, um, was I surprised that... Um, he would be rehabilitated. And yeah, um, I was people during the first screening were like, did anything like surprise you when you went back and looked at the footage, did you change your mind on anything? And it's like, no, um, (laughs) I was right the first time, (laughs) (laughs) but watching like his, like he, he, he finishes the presidency, he goes off, he like does a book and then he does a book tour and he starts doing um, interviews. He did one on Bill O'Reilly and he did one on today's show with Matt Lauer and they were both really grilling him. And that was pretty shocking. And he was very defensive um, in like such a kind of cowardly way where he was just like, he's like, I'm not going to talk about Obama. I don't want to comment on stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then they're talking about the collapse and he's just like, I really didn't know that it was going to happen. Like, you have to believe me. And then, and O'Reilly is like giving it to him a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then Matt Lauer is like, Oh, in your book, you talked about how Kanye West called you um, a racist. Like you don't care about black people. And he was just like, yeah, that was the most disgusting part of my presidency. <laughs> and then <laughs> Matt Lauer is just like, well, don't you think people would take offense to that? Considering like all of this stuff that happened. And Bush was just like, yeah, I don't care. Like, if they do, I don't care. And I was just like, holy shit. And, uh, you know, now it's like, oh, he loves the guy. He's so so funny, this guy. Wait, what did he Um, mean by that's the most disgusting part of my presidency? Like, that he... That that, that he called him racist. That he called... Yeah. That Kanye West called him racist. Not that he... 
he's, he's not being remorseful. He never nope. he never should have hired Kanye West to do those things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was um that was really bizarre and like very, you know, I I don't like him, but it was like very off-putting cuz like you have like Matt Lauer being like do you, do you sure like <laughs> want to go with that and he's literally just like don't care. Like he shrugs, yeah. he like he What's doesn't care. He's just Iraq like war. <laughs> yeah, he's just like he called me racist like that wasn't right for him to do. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. And then he's doing the ice bucket challenge in a few years. Right. Yeah. It's the painting stuff is really weird too. Cause he goes on and he's interviewed with that. And he has like this, the people he painted talking about how like, you know, they're like one guy's like super scarred from, mm-hmm. you know, um, bombs and stuff. And he's like talking like that and they're cutting to Bush and it's just like, it's insane. It's like, and he's just painting these guys selling the book. Like he's giving, I think he's doing, giving them proceeds to like a fund for victims. But it's like, but you, you know, you did it. Like it's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Using money for the whoopsies fund. There was um, a, a, like a year or two ago, that amazing gaffe. Um, which it felt like a ghost from the past, my adolescence just coming back at me in new balding form and in George W. Bush having another Bushism post-presidency, but he was talking about Ukraine uh, and talking about, you know, the illegal invasion. And he accidentally said of Iraq. And then yeah. uh, it was this weird Freudian slip where he was like, oops, I'm at Ukraine. And then he was like, Iraq too. Uh, basically kind of (laughs) like jokingly confessing to uh, breaking international law and killing millions of people for no reason. Yeah, it's brazen. And, you know, it's whatever. Also, it's just like, what are you going to do? Like on some level, it's just like, okay, well, at least you're saying it. Um, what else? This goes back to the Matt Lauer thing. Um, you know, if you're George Bush, the reason you think Kanye West questioning the integrity of a president is more of a scandal than you invading a country under false pretenses and killing all these innocent people. Uh, when the neoconservative movement successfully had its shit together, unlike the Republican Party now, which is, you know, horrendously fractured, can't seem to like really uh effectively organized around any which direction uh you earnestly believed like iraq had to be invaded as part of the expression of american power and as part of maintaining american empire and so even if the country didn't have the bombs which were the excuse to go in you still did your job invading the country like he, he still in a way and i don't think he would say this in an interview but clearly like sees this as something that had to be done, like an eating your vegetables of running the American empire. Um, (laughs) And it's just, they're not in charge anymore. That is a real benefit to the like free for all politics we're getting right now, which are very scary to live in, but it's a different kind of evil. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, another thing, too, I want to make sure we get to is um, the importance of evangelicals. Uh, Pat Robertson just died. Um, do you think that's something that is le- at least changed for, for the better? Because that, we that's another thing I think we kind of forget, too, is just the grip the evangelical right had on 
the I mean, I, I was about to say the U.S. government, but I guess it still kind of does. It's just not as public, not as much of a culture war. There are other culture wars, but the religion doesn't play as strong a role in it. Um, do you think that's something we have forgotten to a fault about Bush as well is just the absolute uh, control that the evangelical right was given under his presidency and his his embeddedness in what was kind of a fascist movement like he was uh reelected in large part um because of an anti-gay uh sentiment and proposal to to constitutionally ban same-sex marriage um how much of that do you think has gotten just lost in the sauce yeah that's that's something we don't really talk about um i remember that being like like that was the pence contingent for mm-hmm. Trump, like he was like, oh, we'll get all them if you pick him as your VP. It was like part of the calculations. Um, but yeah, it's something that we don't really like, definitely not at the forefront, something that we don't talk about and like how strange it is, um, that whole thing. I remember there's a clip in that where he's like, it's one of the few clips where he's almost crying and he's touched that like, people that he doesn't know pray for him because he's the president. Mm-hmm. Um, just so grotesque. It's like, uh, yeah, very, it was very much a thing and it was at the forefront and now it's like buried, but I don't think it's less of a thing now. It was just, he was like, you saw him go to church. You saw him do that. And I think, um, I remember Obama had to like insist that he was, he's like, I'm not Muslim. Like, I promise you. And like, that was like kind of a thing, but it's definitely less in your face with that, but it's still very, you know, it's still very present. We're just not talking about, there's no, like, we're not talking about like a crusade against um, Muslims because Osama bin Laden is like the bad guy, but there's still a lot of money. Um, I mean, we in general, we don't really talk about like the money <laughs> um, yeah. or like whatever we do. But, you know, there's not like um, like in general, people aren't necessarily like talking about like who is Coke funding, um, you know, that kind of thing. And then maybe that would be very good if we were like a little bit more upfront about stuff like that, where you heard it more. It seems like we're sort of going towards that. but. Maybe it's just like the circles I'm in and what I'm seeing. You know, you're talking about, um, you know, fairly early internet and there's still like more of a monoculture. Um, Mm. Things are less niche and broken up. So that's one thing that's like, I think Alex alluded to that. It was like very different from now. It's like things feel very much the same but like one of the differences is that we're all not like glued and watching the same thing and having to hear this guy talk about religion in a way that is weird to a lot of people and like amazing to some other people it was interesting from the footage watching him craft the war on terror narrative because it starts out with muslims are attacking us because we're free and then after a week or two of that and i think this is all in the 2001 episode but uh he has to clarify that Muslims, uh, Islam is a religion of peace. And I've always thought that, but there are bad Muslims 
who believe in fear. It's like a Diablo opening. It's like George <laughs> Bush doing the Diablo opening. He's like, they, they've a, a lot allied with the sources of uh, mistrust and we must root them out. <laughs> and it's a very childlike way of understanding the world uh, intercut with, you know, the horrific footage of violence that uh, we were just drop shipping over there. Yeah, that term radical Islam came out of that, which is like really odd. And I think what you just identified was specifically the use for it. But like to think about that in retrospect, it's a little weird. Nobody really says that anymore, you know, like as a way of differentiating like it from mild Islam or whatever. (laughs) How crazy is it that we are all aware as a country that Saudi Arabia did this? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the entire time I've been giving the money. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's like another thing about like um you're talking about how he's like crafting the message for the war on terror. You're talking about you know, you learn about like um we're in uh as they say late capitalism, so the contradictions are piling up. But um that's all this is, is contradiction. So it's like, oh, we invaded Iraq. And it's like, that was a bad move. They made a mistake. They fucked up. They're idiots. And it's like, well, they're not really because like whatever happens, it's just like, did they know about 9-11? Did they not? Like, what are they doing? Whatever happens is like kind of in their best interest. Like they don't care. They're not going to be like hurt. So like there's all these like contradictory things happening where it's just like, well, if they're destabilized, that helps us like when we know what to do, like if their plan doesn't go into effect, that doesn't matter. So if you're just like, Oh, Muslims are good. Muslims are bad. It's just like, it's just like confusing people who, you know, are like a little bit like checked out or whatever. And um, now you're seeing that a lot more and a lot more obviously, but again, maybe it's just like us where it's like, everything is culture war. So everything, it's just like, you got to buy the right beer or the wrong beer um the contradictions like help the ruling class like they can't believe it they love it like it doesn't make sense it's not supposed to um yeah it's so much harder crafting a narrative now like uh, the the kid rock shooting a case of bud light is almost you know like an act of sin in conservative culture you know (laughs) the whole brand is built on bud light well, what what elements of the story are we working with anymore? I think we need to go back to the board and get back to the outline and make sure this all lines up because it's the elements are eating themselves. Um, it does make me wonder too, um, in reference to, you know, so we invaded Afghanistan, we invaded Iraq. Um, the effort to bring freedom to Afghanistan destroyed the country. Uh, Iraq didn't even have the excuse we used to go in there. Uh, And it does make me think that, you know, even in a more logical uh, political apparatus where we identify Saudi Arabia attacked us and then attack them. Does that look even that much more different than the world we live in now? Um, Mm. I mean, it does geopolitically for the Middle East, but I'm just saying, like, would it have gone much differently trying to destabilize a different country in the same general area? Um, You know, what, what does that what should I think of that as a socialist? If is this all just different exercises in empire building? Yeah, that's true. Um, I don't know. I mean, like another thing is that like early in 2001, he was just like, we make demands of the Taliban, close your terrorist training camps. And um, watching it this time around, I, I was like reading this um, Mike Davis book, Buddha's wagon, 
which is a history of um, the terrorist bombing. History oh, of, uh, uh, of car bombs? Of right? car bombs, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Um, that's so where later the wagon the, comes in. That's the wagon. <laughs> yes, yeah, anarchists. Okay. Um, but, yeah, he was talking about, I read that kind of recently, and he was talking about part of training the Mujahideen, which we did, um, was setting up terrorist camps, which we had a hand in. So it's just like, Bush is saying, like, gotta you gotta close those terrorist camps, which not only like we um helped set up, but I'm pretty sure it was under the watch, like when uh Dick Cheney and Rumsfeld were in, like it was like under Reagan. Um, and like what do I think about that? You know, like you do get into a point, it's just like this is a bit of an intellectual um, exercise of like recontextualizing information, but like you do get to like, as we were talking about, we touched on before, but like a kind of liberal hypocrisy that doesn't work. Like, okay. Like you mean the terrorist camps we helped set up, but like, also what do I do with that information? Which is like the bigger question. Um, And what do I like vote? (laughs) Like, like, what do (laughs) you do do about it? What could you do? At the end of the day, other than watch Bank of America commercials in a lapse <laughs> over eight years. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, good good note is any to, to end on. Uh, Chris Bell, thank you for joining us. This You can, if you are in uh, New York City, see this uh, film uh, coming up, right? We got some dates. Yes. Um, I should have had this open already. Well, I do know that we are playing on the... 16th um with your friend and mine alex patak will be doing the q a on june 16th i know that guy right? i know i'll be there You're doing that? Okay. <laughs> uh 5 p.m and part that would be part two which would be the second administration and then um both part one and part two are playing again part one is playing on the 19th june 19th and part two is playing on June 27th. This is at Spectacle Theater in Williamsburg on South Third Street. All right. And yeah. I do have um, a link tree where you can find out more information about stuff. I've made a link, you know, link tree. It's a mm-hmm. link tr.ee uh, slash Christopher. Jason Bell. Link is that the new Zelda game? Are you playing that? It's about networking. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I just beat Breath of the Wild, just so everyone knows. Oh, nice. Congratulations. That's where I am. Thank you. Now you're prepared to play the new game. (laughs) Uh, Well, I am uh, at Anders Lee here on Twitter, Dursley1 Instagram. Uh, Check out our Patreon if you want some spicy uh, culture war content. Um, I have a show at uh some crazy ass golf place on the twenty seventh. I don't know. I'll plug it proper next time and on my Twitter. Oh man, I ain't doing shit, yo. Okay. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Patak Test Kitchen. I'll put any exciting dates on there, and that's gonna be my only plug for this week. Uh, looks like that is it. 
All right, watch this drive. I stepped on that too. Pretend he's hitting the drive. (laughs) 